They inspired me to believe that I could create the kind of life that I wanted to live. I wanted to dream beyond my circumstances and they were permission slips for me to do it because it's easier to be it if you can see it. And I saw it through them and I found it in myself. Welcome to Start Right Here, where I talk to BIPOC beauty pros about breaking into the industry, standing out, and defining success for themselves. I'm your host, Corinne L. Corbett. I'm an OG beauty director turned consultant, but I'm also a dot connector. What does that mean? I love linking and sharing ideas, information, and people so that we can all succeed. And I do this show because I'm an advocate for creating an equitable, inclusive beauty industry. And this show is one way to bring you the information if you want to take a seat at the table or build one of your own. So let's get into the show. Today, I'm fortunate to have with me beauty educator and makeup artist extraordinaire, Nikki Posley. I first became acquainted with Nikki via Instagram, where I got to watch some of his amazing educational videos during the pandemic, and I thought he'd be a wonderful guest. So I'm excited to talk about his background and his approach to makeup and his inspirations today. Welcome, Nikki. Thank you so much, Corinne. It's such an honor to be here and have an opportunity to speak with you. Thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure. Let's talk a little bit about your background to start. You were an artist to begin with. Yes. And was that your career dream? Was art your career dream? And what kind of art in particular were you passionate about? It was my career dream. I've been a fine artist almost my entire life. I grew up in a creative and performing arts program in school. So I was exposed to the full gamut of the arts, from dance to theater to art. But I found myself most interested in fine art. I'm a painter, and I also did different forms of drawing as I grew up. And I would always find myself coming back to figurative work or work that involved the face. I would do it for hours. It was my entertainment. The intersection of beauty, art, and fashion was my escape. It was my happy place. And I wasn't interested in partying, didn't get into the drugs or anything like that. I just found my center at that intersection of those things. I'm self-taught and I would just pick up something, whether it was a type of paint or my pencils, and I would just spend hours and hours doing it. And through one of my relationships with my best friend, who's been a hairstylist since we were pretty young, I got exposed to the beauty industry and what that looked like to work inside of it. And I just enjoyed hanging out in those spaces and watching him and his coworkers do what they do. And though I'm not talented in that way and never wanted to do hair, it was the art of transformation. It was the idea that you could connect with people and touch them in a very unique way. When we feel good about how we look, we sit up taller and we sit up straighter. There's something deeply emotional connected to our beauty rituals and all the things that make us feel more potent and alive as people. And I think I just got addicted to being a part of that. He actually encouraged me to pursue makeup because he saw something in my paintings and drawings and said, I see something here. I don't know if you've connected with, but I think you'd be really good at makeup. He actually bought me my first 
products. It's one thing for someone to recognize a talent in you and say, you'd be good at that. But just as you're a self-taught artist, are you a self-taught makeup artist as well? I am. I've never had any sort of formal training in makeup. If I'm completely honest with you, I see makeup as what I was doing before. I just transitioned the discipline from what I would do on canvas to what I'm doing on faces. And ironically, the eyes and the eyebrows that you guys see me do now is exactly the way I would draw them on paper. So it's been an interesting journey to go from one to the other. Looking back, would you say that the beauty industry is a destination or a detour? I'm going to have to say both. It's a detour in the sense that I was doing professional art shows before I was out of middle school. And I thought that that would be my career. I was very happy with that. And through my exposure to the beauty industry, I fell in love with this whole other aspect of painting and creating. I never saw makeup. I never saw that for myself. But when that revealed itself to me, I embraced it and I just kept putting one foot in front of the other. I love that. And I think that for all of us, even if it's a destination, there's always a detour involved. Definitely. Talk about your upbringing. Where'd you grow up and how did that impact your ideas about beauty? I grew up in what most would consider a small town, about an hour outside of Chicago. So I was a Midwest kid. I grew up in the 80s. And the 80s was, of course, a very colorful, expressive time in art and fashion and beauty. So there was a lot of fabric to draw from. So as I mentioned before, that intersection is what really excited me. And pop culture was amazing during those years. I drew from all of it and I took it in and I used it to inspire me to find something in myself. I used that canvas to paint the world as I thought it could be through art, music, fashion. Do you remember the first beauty product you purchased? I believe I do. I think it was a St. Ives apricot scrub. <laughs> I was always very oily, so I was always into exfoliation. And I'm sure I was overdoing it, but I'm sure it was a St. Ives product. Right, with the little walnuts. <laughs> yeah, the crust walnuts. <laughs> That's so funny. What was the first job that you did as a makeup artist? My first professional gig was working behind the cosmetic counter in Chicago. When I moved to Chicago, I was actually doing customer service training for a printing company. And I was doing that in a hotel. Across the street was one of the flagship Marshall Field stores. And there was one of the flagship mat counters. And when I would visit prior to moving, you know, going through the store, I would see these immaculately dressed very colorfully adorned people. The music was blasting. And I saw them with their clients painting and doing their thing. And I was instantly drawn to that. I knew that that's where I belonged. I don't know how, but I've never been more sure of anything. And I took steps to make it happen. You put yourself out there in terms of going and selling yourself to Mac. I did. I mean, I was literally working across the street from there, but I knew that if I crossed the street, there was another life for me, and I wanted it. A new life just across the street. That's major. I mean, what a metaphor. It was right across the street, and I didn't have professional photos. I hadn't had any professional experience, but what I did have was photographs. I bought myself a camera when I got serious about makeup, and I would beg girls that I worked with, my mother when she would be still, 
to sit as models. And I always took photographs, process photos of everything that I did. It was just for myself and it was just for my sort of technique and learning. But I used those photos when I had my interview there. And I think they saw my passion for what it was because, like I said, I didn't have any sort of professional images to show, but they didn't care. I think working behind the counter is a critical skill for any makeup artist. That experience that you gain behind the counter is invaluable because of the variety of people that you get to interact with. So what lessons do you think you learned there that set you up for success? Gosh, that's a great question. Patience, first and foremost, because in those environments, you may be going 60 miles an hour for a while, then it's slow and everything in between. You literally are learning what it is to be of service. And that changes from person to person. I might work with someone in their 70s part of the day and the next person I work with is 17. There's a lot of different ideas about beauty and you have to find a way to meet people where they are because it's not about me necessarily showing them every trick I have in my book. It's about honoring the person they want to see in the mirror and meeting them wherever that is. And also humility. Knowing what I know, but being able to humbly present that through a filter that they can understand and relate to. I would say those are the two biggest lessons I learned. I learned what service looked like, frankly. Yeah. And it looks like being human and being connected to people. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about the makeup artist that influenced you and your approach to makeup, because there's lots of different ways to do makeup. Whose styles were you drawn to? So I got interested in this at a time when we were just able to begin peeking behind the curtains and understanding month to month as magazines were released, who was doing this. There are three who were my strongest influences. Sam Fine would be first, Kevin O'Quan, and Billy B. And I think what I drew from all of these people is I could feel and sense fine art background in the work. They were able to transform faces. I saw the shading. I saw what they did with light and shadow. And it went far beyond just making someone look pretty. I felt a sense of design in their work. Their use of color. Their stories just inspired me. I've always been drawn to people who could change the energy in a space. People who sort of had something major to say and delivered it with grace. And I got that from all three of those people. I love that description of delivering it with grace and having something to say and saying it with your work, not necessarily saying it with your voice, which really is what the three of them did. I mean, yeah, the late Kevin O'Quan was definitely a vibrant individual, but it was not about look at me, look at me. It was about when you saw the work, you'd say, yes, I like that or that is groundbreaking, or that is gorgeous, but not the makeup is gorgeous. The end result captured the eye and captured the essence of the person, not like what eyeshadow is that, <laughs> which sometimes we confuse. We don't put things on so that people will ask us what the thing is that we put on. Absolutely. 
they inspired me to believe that I could create the kind of life that I wanted to live. I wanted to dream beyond my circumstances and they were permission slips for me to do it because it's easier to be it if you can see it. And I saw it through them and I found it in myself. And recognizing it in yourself and acting upon it is major too, because a lot of times we see it and we know we can do it and then we stop ourselves. So kudos to you to going for it. And then you continue to go for it in lots of different ways because you've relocated a couple of times. Tell me how and what the reason was that you moved from Chicago to San Francisco. I spent eight years living and working in Chicago on the Magnificent Mile, doing work behind the counter. I had a lot of great experiences. I met a lot of interesting people. But, you know, it's cold. I'm from the Midwest. Chicago is very cold. It's a very sort of cold, gray, steel kind of environment. I knew that eventually I wanted to come to New York, but in my spirit, I needed a soft place to fall for a minute before I did it. And I had some friends who lived in California who had wanted me to move there for a long time, but I was busy building what I was building and sort of creating roots for myself. But at a point, I thought to myself, if I don't take this chance now, I may never know what that's like. I always knew I wanted to come to New York, but I wanted some color and some sunshine and some softness, if that makes sense. San Francisco was a watercolor painting. Chicago was a Jackson Pollock splatter painting. I wanted a break. I wanted a break. But I found that in California. I started freelancing probably within the first year of working full-time in makeup behind the counter in Chicago. So I continued freelancing in California. I was strictly freelance there. I did some retail freelance and then took in a lot of other things that showed up. And it was all valuable experience, but that's what brought me to California. I needed a change of pace. Talk to me about getting your first freelance job. So you got this training behind the counter. As you transitioned to freelancing in different aspects of freelancing, what shifts did you need to make? I needed to be able to express my own vision, but also to represent myself as a business person because when you step away from counter life, you're being looked at as a business person. You have to understand what your rates are, why your rates are what they are, and you need to be able to stand behind them and have a vision for what it is you bring to the table. So it's almost like you develop a different set of legs for that phase of what you're doing. The opportunities were all unique. My first freelance gig was probably bridal. I did a lot of that in Chicago. It's a great way to begin starting to understand how to have a conversation with a client, how to meet a client where they are, but also how to interpret a vision. It's a heavy responsibility to work with someone on such an important day. Sometimes it was a photo shoot, but in the Midwest, mostly bridal would have been the majority of my freelance work. And when I look back, I gained something from every bit of it. And... Bridal is interesting because bridal is an event, a pivotal event in someone's life. So it is just as critical as the red carpet. It's someone's personal red carpet situation. So there is a lot of pressure on the team that is doing that work, even if they've never had exposure to the red carpet. Yes, absolutely. You grow into that space and it's not easy. And while you were in San Francisco, you started doing beauty education. I did. Talk to me a little bit about stepping into that role, because there's one thing to apply makeup, another thing to 
impart information to others. It is. And looking back, it's something that came very naturally to me when I was with my clients in retail, obviously in the process of helping them to understand how to apply makeup to themselves and work on your sales and all of that. But beyond that, it was just a part of who I was. It's not something that I saw for myself either. I was doing freelance for a shoe or in San Francisco for a little over four years. Beautiful, elegant brand. Sometimes we would host parties for VIP clients after the workday and someone would have to sort of step forward to present so that there was something to make an event out of. And I was continuously finding myself pushed forward to do it. And at first I didn't want to do it. You know, we had put in a full day, but I took a step back and thought to myself, this is a skill set. I'm being asked to work on a skill set and I may be doing it for them at this moment, but what I learn, I get to keep. So I'm going to lean into this and see what there is to it. And when I leaned in, there was a vibration to it. I started to enjoy it. I started to have a lot of fun. It began to bring more clients to me because they like to hear me speak and break things down as I go. And I found a different kind of joy in education. Yeah. If that is a talent that someone possesses, once they realize it, then it's like a spark goes off when you step up to do the work because it's not laborious. It's something you enjoy and that infects the other people positively. It's contagious in a beautiful way. Like when they see someone explaining information and they engage with you, there's a connection that happens. It's like if they know that you're all in, then they want to get into Absolutely. That's been an important component throughout every aspect and phase of the career I've had thus far. I've always been able to be exactly who I am. And I think people really respect and appreciate that. And people connect with it. That's the core of what this industry is, is connecting. Yeah, it is. You told me in the pre-interview, when you decided to move to New York, you came with a backpack and a dream, basically. That was it, Corinne. That is brave. That is really, really brave. So the respite in San Francisco gave you the courage or were you just thinking it's time? Gosh, it was both. I was working really hard at what I was doing in San Francisco. I was freelancing for several different cosmetic brands. I was doing freelance outside of that. And I was trying to elevate everything that I was doing, but I was feeling a ceiling there. I found in San Francisco a very strong bridal market and I found a e-commerce market. There would never be the variety there that I would have access to in New York. And I was feeling that ceiling hard. And I had the energy, I had the passion, and I had the audacity to do it. But I was feeling like a size 10 foot and a size 7 shoe. I was just hitting the ceiling with what I felt my possibilities were. So I knew it was time to go. It was time to dream bigger, and dare for more. When you got here, you had goals, but did you have a plan to execute on them? You know what? I did, and I had both, and my transition was very interesting. I found a roommate in New York while I was still in San Francisco. Wow, that's great. It's kind of a crazy story, but when we connected online and we had our first conversation, Something in the tone of her voice made me know that we would be good as roommates 
I can't explain that at all. It was a feeling because I also had other phone interviews and just with the tone of the voice, I knew something wasn't right. I didn't know what it was, but I trust my intuition and we are friends to this day. So it was kind of crazy if you look back on it and think about it on paper, but literally from those first couple of conversations and the things that we talked about, I felt like it would be a good fit. And I just took the leap. I go where I find myself drawn and I figure the rest out when I get there. And it probably won't be the last time I have to do it. How did you establish yourself in New York in such a competitive environment? Honestly, I think it has to do with the fact that I wasn't worried about what was going on to the left and right of me. We tap into our power by knowing what we are and what we aren't. I focused on what my lane was. Now, was it difficult? Absolutely. I was in a huge new market. I knew no one in New York other than my new roommate. Spent some time back in retail to get on my feet and just to have a sense of security in this new place. But I was always, even within that, looking for where the opportunity was. I would say consistency was the thing that eventually, I guess, brought me to certain people's attention. You have to keep showing up. And showing up can look different from one season to the next in your life and in your career. But specific to New York, because you asked me this, New York isn't completely obsessed with exactly how talented you are. New York wants to know if you're going to keep showing up long enough for someone to care about your story. And I stayed until someone cared about my story. You don't have to be the most talented makeup artist, but do you have a story that people can understand and relate to? I worked with the talent that I had, continued to train, learn whatever I could, but I came here because I deserved a bigger story. And I wanted to expand what was possible for me. And one by one, you start to connect with people who become faith partners or angels, whatever you want to call it. And they help you to amplify your message. I wanted to be that person who was able to inspire, whether it's a little boy or a little girl or 70-year-old, whoever, who needed to believe that it could be them and that they could do it if that was in their heart. I ended up becoming, in a sense, the thing that I needed that I didn't have. And I leaned into it. I love the idea of becoming what you need because then you know what you need. You can recognize it in others. And I don't think it's strange that you knew through several conversations with the woman who would become your roommate that that click was there. Because if we pay attention, people always give us signs of who they are. It's when we are blinded by whatever title, name, position that we don't look, but it's always there all along. Yeah, I absolutely believe that. Once you got here, did you ever contemplate like this is not for me ever in this journey? The only honest answer for that is I questioned at different times how I was going about it. I've thought about this a lot, especially in the last three years. There's only been one day in my 25 years in this career where I asked myself straightforward, if I wasn't doing this, what do I love enough to replace it with? And I didn't have an answer for it. But there was one day a little bit earlier in the pandemic because I was exhausted. I was mentally and emotionally exhausted just from what we were all dealing with and pivoting. And Because I have a few really amazing people around me, including my family, who's so supportive, I was able to get through a tough moment 
like that. But that was the only time. If you like what you hear, why don't you subscribe to the Start Right Here podcast and leave a review. And please sign up for our mailing list at thebeautyroundtable.com so you will be in the know about all the good things coming. Let's talk a little bit about what you decided to do. Makeup artists make their money being with people. And in the pandemic, you couldn't physically be on set or in a store or with a brand. Let's talk about what you did, how you expressed your art. And that's how I found you. Let's talk a little bit about your process there and what your goal was. Because I think by even showing up the way that you did, you helped people. It was a light in a very uncertain time. Well, it was a crazy time when everything sort of crashed and fell apart. I actually had a few really nice opportunities on the table. Those were gone. Calendar wiped clean. The first few days when I realized none of us were going anywhere, I just slept a lot, (laughs) did a lot of takeout because (laughs) my sense of balance was just sort of shattered like so many people's. And what I realized is that I'm more than just the person who physically shows up and paints someone's face. There's an inner dialogue and there's a conversation that I have to share with the world that's bigger than my ability to paint. Eventually, I connected through a friend with another actual former makeup artist who decided to focus on creating digital platforms specifically for makeup artists who educate. And ironically, this person had been suggested to me maybe a year prior, but just in the course of life, we didn't manage to connect. We connected in the pandemic, and it's an interesting and funny story. So she made this shift from being a makeup artist to the digital space creating. And at the time, if we were each other's client, I wouldn't have been in a position to hire her and she wouldn't have been in a position to hire me. So we put our heads together and said, look, we're going to be in this for a while, it seems. What can we do together to help each other keep going? And we decided to collaborate. She created a platform for me to go to the digital level that I had not gone to. I knew what I wanted to see and the value that I could bring to a digital lesson, but I had to learn in the doing all the components of that and what it should look like from lighting to timing to editing, all the technical stuff that went into that. I learned during that time because I had the time to do it. She has a marketing background in additional to what she knows in digital. Her name is Kristen. She's amazing. So it was a collaboration and that took care of both of us for the next two years. Let's talk about what the two of you did together, what the product looked like for those who haven't had the chance to see anything. What I did, I looked back, Corinne, and I thought about all the different types of iconic makeup looks that have inspired me over the years. And quite frankly, the type of makeup that got a lot of us to get on the bus and get on the plane leave our small towns and come to places like New York, I took it back and I thought, what really got me excited about makeup? I want to create a book of those kinds of classes only in the digital space. And I dissected that. And one by one, I would create a class that was under an hour, maybe 45 minutes per session, where I'm in action using some of my favorite products. I edited myself 
and just thought about what would I as a makeup artist want to see the people who have followed me? What have they been asking me for within social media all of these years? How do I translate that to this and give it to them in a way that I would be proud to display? And that's what we did. So it was educating other professionals. Yeah. So I had to bring it. (laughs) I love that. But then you've also done some consumer education using Instagram. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about that and why that's important. It's another tool and it's another way to share your love and passion for the craft. When we talked before, I sort of see myself like an old vaudevillian. I love the idea of being able to have multiple disciplines that speak to the same message. Makeup, it's the discipline, but I can share my message in different ways. I love the idea of sharing just a short clip, maybe a lip technique, maybe I'm working on a brow and showing the journey. People love to see process. People love to see how you build and construct an idea. They love to hear what inspired each component of what it is that you do. And I enjoy sharing that. It's a lot of fun. I was obsessed with Allure growing up. And when we would see a feature where one of our favorite makeup artists or hairstylists got together and created magic, and I would go to the store and I would thumb through the pages to see who created these looks. And I lived for that. That's what kept me excited as a kid. It was where I escaped into that place of imagination where, like I said, I could paint the world as I believed that it could be or should be without fear of retribution or being told that I couldn't. So that's what I bring to my art. And I think that is maybe what people connect to in it. You mentioned something that made me smile, that you poured over to see who did it. And back then, it was the gutter credit. You had to turn the magazine to the side to read those credits to see who did the hair, who did the makeup, who styled it. So that just showed the dedication and passion that you had. And fast forward to when I was in senior management at magazines, when I would talk to people coming in who said they were interested in be it fashion, be it beauty, being a makeup artist, a hairstylist. Who are your favorite people? If you can't name them, you don't know enough. You haven't done your research. So I'm just appreciative of the people who did the research. And you're one of them. Like Did the research to like read the credit, to identify the professionals that spoke to you. So you'd see an image, you'd then like, that's a pretty image. I'm going to tear it out and put it on my wall. But instead of that, you're like, I like this image. Who did it? Let's look at the credit. What else have they done? Let's find out. It was an adventure. Every month we'd go to the magazine stands and we would start. And when I say we, it was myself, my brother, and my best friend. We're all fine artists, but we all had that interest in that collective space where beauty, art, and fashion met. That was our entertainment, frankly. I love it. So have you done editorial? I have done some. What was it like on your first editorial gig? It was nerve-wracking, but exciting at the same time. I don't even remember what the magazine was now, but I remember one detail I think maybe your listeners will find interesting. It was a 60s-inspired shoot that was actually promoting workout wear. So it was very sort of highly styled. And one of the interesting things is that the reference that I sent 
was for a different part of the decade than what they actually wanted. And I had to explain to the person that was in charge on set that they had asked for really a 50s reference when what they were actually wanting was a mid-60s reference. And that was a very interesting and (laughs) nerve-wracking moment, but everything worked out well. I was just so glad I understood enough about reference to say, hey, I think this isn't really 50s what you're asking for. Do you want 50s or do you want mid-60s? Because it's sounding more like mid-60s. But I had to stand. And it's important that the client then know what they want. Because again, if you don't do your research, even as a client, then you may stick your heels in and be wrong, like be 100% wrong. So the importance of that conversation, the collaborative nature of editorial is that we hire hair and makeup and creatives because they're good at what they do and that they should be able to make suggestions. Now, advertising, on the other hand, is a little bit more challenging because the client may dig their heels in and you just got to give the client what they want. They may not want to hear your opinion. But I think editorial is a team coming together for the benefit of the brand and the reader. Absolutely. But that was one of those moments where I had to assert myself. Yeah, I think that's exciting. What do you find joyous in the work that you do? I think the connection to people. I've gotten to meet so many amazing people from around the world over the time that I've been doing this. And there's something really amazing about the art of transformation, connecting to something on the inside of someone that makes them sit up taller and straighter and just feel more connected to their own joy. As an artist, I see myself as a translator and a vessel. It's rarely 100% my vision. I'm there to translate and be of service. Now, depending on the relationship with the client and the situation, I'm afforded different levels of trust. Sometimes it is 100% my vision, but typically it's not. Again, it's not about me showing every trick in my spell book. That may be too much for the person who's in the chair. I have to focus in on what's going to make them feel like their best projected self. And that's a good day. What is it like as a professional makeup artist who's done this for more than 25 years to be a professional makeup artist on Instagram in the age of Instagram makeup artists who think they're professionals? Oh, that's so loaded. (laughs) And this is not casting aspersions on those who can do their makeup well. You can personally do your makeup well, but there is a difference between a professional makeup artist and someone who can do their makeup well. So distinguishing yourself in the noise is important. So how does one do that? You do it by having a perspective. A perspective is something that's earned. I consider myself a hybrid because I had been working in the industry as a multidiscipline professional for years prior to the onslaught of social media. So I had a well-honed perspective about beauty before that showed up. So the choice I had to make was, to what level am I going to participate in the new now? Now, there's certain things that show up in our industry, and I know you've seen plenty of things in your time and experience that you just have to sort of get on board with. For instance, when computers came and that hit, if you weren't able to participate with that, you got left behind. So 
you have to make decisions about the level at which you're going to participate. I consider myself an old school makeup artist, and that's something that I always say with pride because we had to get things done a very different way. We had to dig deeper into who we were and the things that we found exotic in order to create. We didn't have nearly as many products to work with. We had to get our hands dirty. So when social media came about and I realized that it could be a tool and a vessel for my next level, I had to find a way to participate without losing my personal joy and without losing my message and the essence of why I'm here in this space and what I'm doing. Now, that can be challenging at times because things move very quickly. Many things are trend-driven. I appreciate trend, and I'm able to incorporate it in ways that I feel are appropriate, but that's not what motivates me. I've always been drawn to aesthetics and people who have an ability to last. What is that thing that allowed them to take root and change the space that we're in? So... I'm actually really happy that I had the years I had in the industry prior to social media because I can bring a perspective to my space that you can't buy. You can't buy the perspective that experience gives you. And though I don't have any sort of negative feelings about people, for instance, who live strictly in the influencer space, that's a lane. That's a lane that you can have, that you can work, and that you can expand upon. I'm a hybrid, so I'm able to do both. But what I do in the space, I guess, that might be considered influencer-ish, it's backed by tried and true experience in this industry. And I think that's important because sometimes we get swayed by, it's not pretty outside, but what we need is the foundational knowledge to hold it up for it to last. So I think you make an excellent point there. In our pre-discussion, you talked about the fact that you have, for the most part, or the majority of your career, worked without an agent. So I want to talk a little bit about things that are hard. That's a hard thing to do for many, because that could be a barrier to actually getting work. Can you talk to me a little bit about your process and your decision to do that? So in being completely transparent, I first have to say to you and your audience that you first have to have a clear understanding of what an agent is and what an agent does. You still have to drive the vision. And at the end of the day, you are responsible for being the fire in that engine. I think that there's a misperception a lot, and particularly amongst younger artists today, that an agent... It's almost like a babysitter. They have their function, but ultimately at the end of the day, they're there to amplify your message, take your skills, your strengths, and help to grow them and expand them. But you are still the one who has to be out front building the relationships and feeling out those relationships and bringing them to you. My agency experiences have been with two boutique agencies, both great experiences, both I learned a lot. But the main thing I learned is that without my vision as the artist, they can't be completely effective. There are going to be times with an agent where they have an idea that you know in your spirit doesn't work with your brand. I'm not interested in being put out that way. 
this doesn't feel right for me. This may not be where I'm trying to go. So we need to rethink this, rediscuss it, or we're not doing that at all. There are also times when through my experiences with agents, they helped me to sort of expand how I saw myself and certain possibilities. It's a dance and it's a give and take, but they're not fixers or babysitters. You have to have the vision and you have to understand what your brand is. And frankly, who you see in the vision, the collective vision of what your brand actually is. So I understood, and it's not lost on me, that I still have to have the drive to get out there and represent myself so that they can be effective. They're a dance partner in that, and they can be a wonderful dance partner, but it's still on you. Right. The collaboration is there, so it is a dance. You're collaborating so that the dance is beautiful. So if it's not beautiful for both of you, it's not a good fit. So that makes a lot of sense. Let's talk a little bit about those who aspire to be makeup artists. What advice would you give in general to anybody who wants to be a makeup artist? And then what skills should they possess or acquire? Corinne, I think first and foremost, you need to have a genuine and authentic interest in the craft. If you're really genuinely interested in a craft, that means you're also interested in who came before you because it's hard to know where you are in a real way if you don't know who paved the way and on whose shoulders you stand. I've encountered a lot of artists in the work that I do, the regular artists and through education, but we're in a time where a lot of people are looking for mix and stir outcomes. No one outside of you can give you your motivation and inspiration. You have to have discipline. If I'm getting up in the morning to go to the gym, half the time I'd rather stay in bed. There's inspiration and there's discipline. Discipline is the spine that carries you when you don't always have the motivation to do it. Discipline is the muscle that gives you strength to get through the test that's necessary to create current chapter and next chapter. You need discipline. It helps to be audacious. A lot of times when we use the word audacity, we think of it in an ego-driven sense. You have to have the audacity to believe that you can get up, put on some clothes, and go out there and put yourself out into the world to be judged. It's not easy being an artist and living a creative life. There's so much that is subjective. There's a lot of rejection. You have to have a thick skin about what you do. And sometimes you have to separate your desire and your passion from the person or the company that wasn't able to receive it. I'm not a fit for everybody. And if I was, frankly, I would be worried about that. You have to be self-motivated. You have to care about the integrity that goes into creating real art. But then there's the business side. You need to be equally interested and involved in a business. Beautiful eyeshadow is not going to buy me a house. So there are so many aspects of this that we're responsible for that take time to learn and take time to cultivate. And there are certain things that just take time. You can't complain about the harvest if you haven't planted the seeds. It's a good preachy word right there. <laughs> I get a lot of outreach from artists about what I think 
they should do or what their next step should be. Sometimes you just have to stop, be still and take a moment to breathe so that you can connect to your intuition. There are going to be times and there have been times in my own life where I knew very strongly what the next step should be. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt. And then there are times when I'm just making myself try something different, but there is always a little voice that will speak to you if you listen to it. And another thing I get asked a lot about, whether they want to try something with me or there's some other artist that they want to connect with or learn from or just get next to, to better themselves, we have to learn how to speak their names. And when I say speak their names, that means that you're not always going to have a physical mentor over your shoulder to push you along. The people that inspired me the most, they were virtual mentors. Heck, it wasn't even virtual. It was in books. The computers weren't even what they are now. I drew inspiration from their examples. I studied them, not so that I could be them because no one else can be them, but I studied their example, how they carried themselves in the world and what they brought to this space and how they became unforgettable. I'm interested in the things that capture the imagination and linger there. So it's not a mix and stir thing for me. It never has been. Right. And I think that that is really important. What would you like to do that you haven't done yet? There's something I can tell you. My love and passion for beauty led to educational opportunities, which I never saw for myself. Education within the last couple of years have led to opportunity in the product development space, specifically foundation shade consulting. And that's not something that I saw either, but when it showed up, I embraced it because it allowed me to lend my voice to all the gaps I've seen in that product over the 25 years I've been doing this. So it felt like the most natural thing in the world for me to take where I've been and what I've been able to do and to apply it in a different way, but also to be able to show up for Black women and other women of color in a space where they're sometimes an afterthought. I can't speak too specifically about the opportunity, but I was brought in specifically to speak to shades for women of color and Black women, but eventually was asked to work on the entire range. No, we don't need to know that, but just the fact that you're able to do that to widen your influence in different spaces is amazing. And you are so inspiring. Thank you so much. Likewise. But I don't know if you are aware of how your approach and your outlook will benefit us because this genuine sincerity and you care for the craft and it shows through. Thank you. I stand on some pretty tall shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and you've made room for someone to stand on yours. Thank you. How do people find you? These days, mostly through Instagram and just at Nikki, N-I-C-K-Y, Posley, P-O-S-L-E-Y. Um, within that space, you'll see sort of the full range of my artistic expression, all the things that you know excite me in the industry. They can go to the link in my bio if they're interested in checking out digital, digital work, digital education. So I just try to keep it all encapsulated there. Great. So at Nikki Posley on Instagram, check them out there, folks. 
Nikki, I can't thank you enough for being with me today. And I look forward to what you're going to do next. Thank you so much for having me, Corinne. It was an honor. That's our show for today. Follow at start underscore right underscore here underscore podcast on Instagram. And check out the Last Word newsletter for my latest musings on beauty and inclusion.